open your Bibles as it shows already up on there to Psalm 137, 138. We're going to go over 14 verses this morning, not every single verse from these particular Psalms, but we're going to do six verses of Psalm 137, and we're going to do about the eight verses and cover some of those verses of Psalm 138. One of the things I want you guys to take away is the title of the message. I'm going to repeat this message, this, this title, this kind of sentence, if you will, um, quite often because I want you guys to remember it. I really, really do. And maybe we could say it together. Will you indulge me? Maybe we can say it together. When I say three, let's, let's kind of, it's up there for you. Let's just say it. Uh, one, two, three. If God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things that we see in the Scriptures is um, not uncommon in the sense to where in the life of a believer, we're all believers here who are walking with Jesus, walking day in and day out with Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us through things, does He not? And maybe this morning Jesus has brought you into something, or maybe he's brought you out of something, right? It seems like that's, the, that's my life. He's either bringing me into something or bringing me out of something in our lives. And the things that we're brought through are things that we might call experiences, right? Maybe we call it a trial. Maybe we call it a setback. Maybe we call it a, a disappointment even, or maybe even a loss, the Bible, if you don't know this, the Bible does tell us that we will have those kinds of things in our lives. Amen? We will experience those things. And in fact, James 1-2 says, Account it all joy when we fall into various trials. Counting it all joy. How amazing is that, right? To find joy in the midst of a trial. You know, much of a believer's life relies, I think, on three things. One is the grace of God, right? We depend and we rely upon God's grace for many things in our lives. The other thing that we rely on is God's mercy, right? What can we do without God's grace and the bookend of God's mercy? Thirdly, though, I think for each of us to get through the day-to-day things of life, Sometimes the mundane things, things we don't want to do, things that are hard, things that are difficult or challenging. The other thing is we need the strength of God to get us through it. So important, relying upon God's strength. We would call it perseverance. We call it endurance. We, we even would say I don't want to give up, or we're not going to give up. That's the whole idea of God bringing us through something. You know, we see and have a great example through the Apostle Paul. All the apostles have been through so much as we read in the Holy Scriptures, but the Apostle Paul we have a little bit more information on. And in that we see the Apostle Paul, he says that we are called to fight the good fight. We're to fight that good fight. And I want to encourage you this morning that it is a very good fight. It's good. It's good because anything ascribed to goodness means it has value. It has purpose. And it has benefit. And those are things that are so important. And usually, those kinds of things come at a great cost. Do they not? Things of any value always will come at some kind of cost to us. But I tell you this, and I stand here this morning encouraging you all, as well as myself, that it's worth it. It is totally worth it to endure, to persevere, to not give up. And the reason why is because the Bible tells us there's a prize waiting for us, a reward that's waiting for us at the end. And it's worth it. We call this prize an unperishable crown, do we not? It's unperishable. It always lasts. It always is there. And we call that our reward. 
It's a reward for all believers who hang in there. All believers who, by God's strength, persevere and endure and don't give up. It's worth it because what do we as believers long to hear when we are at heaven's gate? Well done, good and faithful servant. Aren't those the words that we want to hear? Isn't that what keeps us going? It does me. Well, this morning in these two Psalms, we're going to go from one extreme to the other. So I want you to get ready for that. It's one extreme. It's like, it's like swinging the pendulum from one end to the other. Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament and a psalm of great loss. Then we swing the pendulum to the other side, to the other end, into Psalm 138, to where it's a psalm that is written by King David, one of praise and one of great strength, and asking of God for strength because he is in a time of trouble. And no better time to praise God than in a time of trouble. The writer of Psalm 137, to give you some context, tells us and illuminates for us Judah's experience in their being led into captivity into Assyria by the Babylonians. That's the context of that particular psalm. While 138, the next psalm over, David encourages us by his commitment and declaration of praise to God in a time of trouble. And he tells us not only to praise, but he tells us how to do it. He tells us how to do it. It's no coincidence, I think, why the inspiration, our canon of Scripture, we have these two psalms that are back-to-back. I think it's meant there for every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ and Christians, in this day and age especially, that we, that we see the two extremes. We see the contrasts. All be it said, God wants us to know that even in the times of hopelessness, that we have hope. We all have hope in Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at today, whatever has been brought before you this morning, whatever God has brought you into, believe me, there is hope. Allow for me, and you follow along as I read Psalm 137, the first six verses. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion... We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. You know, recently my wife and I had opportunity to travel down to Atlanta and then South Carolina for some ministry. And then we took a few days of R&R into a little town called Bryson City, North Carolina. Kind of at the gateway, they say, of the Smoky Mountains. We'd never been there. In fact, we found this little gem of a town online. And it's actually one of the best 15 small towns either on the East Coast or America, something like that. So we thought, you know, it's on the way. Well, back, we'll check it out. Well, you know how it is here in Virginia. I love it. It's like you go into these small towns, and they've got the typical Main Street, right? The typical Main Street, it's just cute. It's filled with stores, and it's got different things, and it's just wonderful. And the scenery's fantastic. There's even a train that takes you into the Smoky Mountains. A lot of fun, and it's really beautiful. But the one thing that stands out so much about this particular little town is that there's a river that runs right through it. And it's beautiful. 
There's a lot of water in that river, and it's quite a sight to behold. And I think about that, and maybe you do too, about water. There's something about water that does something for our souls. It's kind of a difference seeing a river versus maybe seeing Niagara Falls, right? You see the power of Niagara Falls and and all of that, but you see kind of this river just flowing through no boulders to cause any turbulence or rapids. It's just running smooth. And for me, I enjoy surfing a lot, and I just love the water. For my wife, it, it, it's good for her soul. And maybe you're a fisherman here this morning, and maybe you're more fisherman than, than catching those fish out there. I don't know. Um, things of that nature. Just water brings things up, calms our minds. It brings up thoughts, maybe as you sit down by the river's edge, it brings up thoughts of the past and maybe the present situation you're in or maybe even in the future. The idea is is that just by sitting there or looking, it, it conjures up and it just brings up stirrings within our hearts. But here in our text, in Psalm 137, the writer specifically is now remembering In context, he's remembering Zion, Jerusalem. And as they've now been taken into captivity, he's now had an opportunity to sit, as all of the captives had to sit. And what do you have to do when you sit is think, right? Of how things used to be. But the psalmist there tells us quite properly that we are not to forget those things. They're there by the rivers of Babylon, already captured and on their way into Assyria. There is no hope for rescue, no hope for turning back. But this rest was a time of rest for the captives. It was a brief time, a time that we might call, oh, just some breathing room, right? I think a lot of times in our walks with the Lord, it's important for us to take a time of breath, uh, a breathing room. And that's exactly what Pastor Tim and his family are doing these next couple weeks. A time to just sit, maybe, or a time to just pray or think and just talking with the Lord, hearing from Him. There's great comfort in our souls in doing this, but at this time, In our text, it's different. It's not like sitting down and enjoying the view. It's not looking forward to catching a fish or or whatever it might be. It's almost, I would say, like the river itself being water is sympathy for their tears. Not only do they sit, we're told in verse 1, but we're also told that they wept. And in their weeping, what did they do? They remembered. They remembered. The waters were really nice to sit by, I'm sure, but they were the waters of Babylon, not the Jordan. Not any other rivers within Israel, but the waters of Babylon. The place we're told where they sit is a foreign soil. It's not Israel. It's not their soil. Their city, know this, had been destroyed, laid to waste. Loved ones killed, homes demolished. They left Jerusalem in a heap of destruction. But as they sit by the rivers of Babylon, they remembered. One of the things as we sit, remember this, that nothing could take away our spirit of remembrance. As I said early on, this God bringing us into something or taking us out might be something that is of great loss to us. Something that has affected our lives greatly. 
but nothing will be able to take away your spirit of remembrance. Be encouraged by that. Remembrance they had for their city, their temple, their life as it used to be. They had lost what was so dear to them. So much so that we're told they just cried. I would also say that in the Hebrew, this weeping is not one so much of just a little, you know, dabbing the eye, (laughs) but more of a wailing, maybe some kind of inarticulate kind of wailing. Or maybe it was that even deeper kind of wailing that is not outward but inward to where the soul just aches and aches. And there is no ability to articulate anything and tears don't even come because the hurt is so great. So they wept. And you know, even we as believers today, we have Christ, but we still experience the same things because of loss in our lives or trial in our lives. We find it really hard to adjust to the changes that the Lord has brought us But if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. I want to ask you guys a rhetorical question this morning. Has God brought you to a place like the children of Israel? A place by the river to where you sit, take a breath, remember and weep. A place by the river to take time to recollect and remember on things recent or past. Or maybe this particular plot of soil that God has brought you to is a foreign land. Maybe you've never experienced this soil before in your life. And yet God has brought you to that place, to that foreign land. You know, we have a lot of verses in our Bibles about strength. But at the end of the day, when the day comes to the end, strength always must end with God. It has to end with the Lord. And as believers, we are to surrender to the strength of God in our lives and what He wants to do. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. A very, very familiar verse for us, is it not? But that's a true verse. And maybe for some of us, we've held on to that verse as a, as, as a life verse because of the foreign soil in our lives, the rivers that we've been taken to to sit and remember, the loss we've experienced in our lives. And we hold on and say, Lord, your grace is something that works. It's enough. And in my weakness, in your weakness, the strength of God is strong. These are words to, I think, encourage us that it's not our strength that's needed to get us through, but the strength that only God can truly give. It's all from Him. If God brings you to it, guess what? He will bring you through it. For me, it's a comfort and a blessing to know that we all can rest in the strength that God gives He'll give when we face difficulty in our lives, trial in our lives, loss in our lives. It's important, listen, it's important to let God have the glory. It's very important to let Him show Himself strong in your life, regardless of what may be happening. 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. For what reason? To show Himself strong. 
on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. So God is looking for folks like you and me who trust the strength of God by His grace and accept it and receive it and walk in it to show Himself strong. So people can say, how can you go through this dilemma, this trial, this loss? How can you do that? And you have now opportunity to tell them about our Lord. You have opportunity to say, you know what? It isn't me, but it's the strength of God within me. It's His grace that strengthens me. His mercy that upholds me. And it's His love that keeps me. Verses 2 through 4 in Psalm 137. The the water, as I said, has sympathy for their weeping. And it says that they're sitting by some willow trees. Willow trees, you know what they look like. They're they're, they're low-hanging trees. And I think it showed exactly their sorrow. So we have the water as sympathy for their tears, and we have the willow tree that just hangs low and it's like hunched over. You see, they were at a place to where they didn't feel like singing. They were at a place... That was unfamiliar to them. They were at a place to where they experienced great loss. Who feels like singing when you've lost something dear to you? None of us do. None of us feel like singing. So, in a sense, they, they hung their, their, their instruments on these willow trees. And only to look at a willow tree, you can see their, their broken hearts. But like the psalmist, I think we are resolved to praise the Lord and do this with every fiber and with every force of our lives that we have. We have to, in a sense, in trusting God's strength, that has to be mustered up within us. Say, Lord, I am going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to be strong in you. Why don't you guys say it again? If God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Let's try that again. If God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Know this, that our hearts, they have to be fully occupied and filled with anything. If they're going to be occupied and filled with anything at all, it should be praising the Lord. That's what it should be. And then, as it goes on, we see a progression that when we praise God with a, with a whole heart, this is now getting into Psalm 138, and we'll get to that. But one of the things that, that we see here is that in not feeling like it, not feeling like we are too filled with mirth or joy, it was kind of a cruel thing for the captives to do. I mean, they were cruel in general, but it was a cruel thing for them to do. But for the believers there, the the Jews that were there, it was a testing. And it's a testing for us every time as well. Deuteronomy 13.3 says, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet, of that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. How many of us can easily listen to the lies of the enemy, especially in a time of loss or trial? Many of us can. To where we might just give up on the Lord. We just might throw the towel of surrender in. Singing in a time of trial is like singing in a foreign land. But is not God with us in the foreign land? Is He not there beside us in the foreign land? Of course He is. And so if God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Verses 5 and 6, we hear from the psalmist about how he feels. I want you to notice something. In verse 5, it changes. 
The personal pronoun changes from we to I. And it gets very personal now. He's been talking about the collective group, but now he's talking about himself. How he feels. This is a promised, I think, declaration from himself. And that whatever we've gone through, our chief joy is to be the Lord. Psalm 138. I'll read all eight verses and you guys can follow along. This is a psalm of David. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me. And made me bold with strength and in my soul. That verse 3 is an underlined verse in case you want to do that or highlight it. I'll say that again. In the day when I cried out, you answered me. And made me bold with strength in my soul. Notice the word made. Verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Finally, in verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. That's a cool ending to this psalm because in Psalm 136, if you've never read it, it's a responsorial psalm. And after every statement, the response is, for His mercy endures forever. And so it's great as a church reads those statements that the church also declares back in response for his mercy endures forever. And David says the same thing in verse 8. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. As I said earlier, this is a song where King David writes of praise when he is in a time of trouble. This is the other end of the pendulum. We've swung now from lamenting and remembering and great loss into a time of, well, praising Him even in a time in the middle, in the midst of a trial. David shows us how to do that. Verses 1 and 2 says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Notice he is making his own declaration. I will. And then the second part of verse 1, he says, I will again sing praises to you. Verse 2, he says, I will worship. He's made a commitment in his heart, which brings this declaration outward. Something that he is committing to say, Lord, even though this is a tough time, I will praise you. This is a commitment from David to the Lord that he will praise, sing, worship, and praise. I will, David says. I, how do I do it? How will I do this? Well, notice David says it's with a whole heart. Not half-hearted, but wholehearted. With everything that he's got, everything that is within him, <clears throat> he makes a decision, I will praise 
I will sing. I will worship. And he does it, as I said, with the wholeness of his heart. That word whole means complete, perfect, or entire. As I said, not half-hearted. You know, I've known in my own life and in seeing the lives of others that it takes a whole heart to praise God. Have you guys ever come into church and you're kind of like you don't want to be here, you got something else, maybe a ball game's on or something's happening, let's just be real, right? It's like, man, it's like, oh yeah, I want to be there, but yeah, but there's this thing I'd like to do. And you come into church kind of half-hearted. Hey, I've got a secret for you that can't tell everybody. Shh, okay? That happens to me too. And I'm the pastor of the church. And I'm like, man, I just don't feel it, man. I'm just, Lord, I don't want to get up. I, I, it's, it's Wednesday night, and it's like when people are kind of winding down, it's 7 o'clock at night, we're winding up, right? You, you, you leave your work, and you've got to, like, slam down something to eat, and then you've got to come to church, and ah, understand there are so many, in a sense, better things to do. And we've come here maybe with a half heart and we're not totally listening to the message or engaged fully in praise or worship to the Lord. It's just the human factor. God has factored in that. And there is always something that when I get around the saints, I am revived. And I'm so glad that I came. I'm so glad that I got here. And you know, in those times, guys, there's always a word that ministers to my heart. There's always something that makes me realize, I'm so glad I came, Lord. I'm so glad I came. So it takes a whole heart to praise the Lord. It takes a heart that is fully committed and occupied to take all that we've got within us. Listen, you and I cannot submit ourselves to the trial. Amen? Don't submit, relinquish, surrender to the trial. We're not under any restraints in this trial. But like the psalmist, like King David, we are resolved. We should have resolved to praise the Lord and do it with everything that is within us. Another thing about praise that I found, it takes a broken heart to really praise God. You guys found that out? It takes a broken heart, a fractured heart. And this fractured and broken heart mourns the effects of the loss or mourns the effects of the trial. But we need a whole heart to praise God. Amen? We need a whole heart to praise the Lord. Say it again with me, if you will. If God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Hey, if our hearts are fully occupied and filled again, as I said earlier, with anything, it's got to be praising God. And then we will see that progression of praising Him. And then all that is promised to us in His Word, that Word that He says Himself is higher than His own name. And we, we love the name of God. And there are many names of the Lord, are there not? But God Himself says, what I say is even greater than my name. You ever thought about that? It's like, really, Lord? It's true. It says it right here in our Bibles. His word is higher, greater than his name. Pretty amazing. In verses 3 through 6, we see the psalmist coming to the Lord. We see a witness. 
And we see the grace and mercy of God in verse 6. And how often, how often have we cried out to God? I think about it in my own life. It seems like sometimes daily, right? Maybe you're having that week or that month or that year to where the only place you find yourself is on your knees crying out to the Lord, seeking His face. But yet how often times we cry out to the Lord and He always answers us. That's why I love reading His Word. That's why I like my devotion time. Because I don't even know there's something on my heart. I don't even know that I'm wrestling with something. (laughs) And God then ministers to me right there on the spot. And I'm like, oh, yes, Lord, thank you. I think when God does this, it's truly His character. It's a a mark of a true and living and active God that hears the pleading of His children. Just like you who are parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles. When the little one cries out, what do you do? You bring your attention to the little one and God does the same. And that's the mark of a true and living and involved God. Because He wants to hear from you. It's interesting, a word that I love that depicts God when we call out to Him. He, the word in, I don't remember the word in the Hebrew, but in our Bibles it says He inclines His ear to us. And, and the idea is a picture of God bowing down. And I think about that. You know, you're, his, He's holding His ear going, what? what? Oh, right. I mean, he so wants to be involved, and he hears from us, and he answers us. Think about it. All that God has to do, he answers us and ministers to our hearts. Pretty amazing. This cry, as the commentators say, in fact, Spurgeon says it's an inarticulate wail of grief inarticulate wail of grief that not even words can express. Only emotion can express. And it's inarticulate. You can't understand it. You can't define it. In many cases, you don't even know where it's coming from. But it's there. It's there within your soul, and you just got to get it out. That, that, that's the way David felt. But he makes us bold and strong, the Scriptures tell us. David says, in the day that I, when I cried out, you answered me, <clears throat> made me bold with strength. You see, it's in these trials and in these great times of loss or despair, God is making you. He's making you, transforming you and me into something different than we were before that situation happened. Do you you believe that? Do you know that to be true? Because when we do rely and trust upon the Lord, we come out of that way different than when we entered. I found it so true in my own life. David's prayer is answered. It's like, Lord, you made me bold and you made me strong. But it doesn't appear to me that his situation went away. Doesn't, I don't read it anywhere to where the Lord said, okay, no problem, no more trial. It's all gone. I've taken care of it. How many times for each and every one of us that... Man, that is the case that we are still in that place, that foreign land, sitting by the rivers of Babylon. And all we have to do is remember and lament. 
See, God gave, God made David in this time. As he makes every one of us in those times. Say it again with me, if you will. If God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. You know that God is able to interpret your tears and your cries? You know that? I mean, he invented language, and so I, I know that he can interpret and understand exactly what we're going through. And he answers in such a way, I think, to meet us right in that place, right where we're at. God uses adversity in our lives for good. And so, therefore, he won't withhold it from us. Now, how many of us would say, Lord, take away all adversity? Come on, let's be honest. I, we all would, right? Who likes adversity? Who likes pain? Who likes suffering? Who likes loss? Who likes despair, depression, despondency, all of those things? Who likes that? None of us like that. But the Father knows it's good for us to put us through it. And so He doesn't withhold it from us. It's to make us. Strength given by the Lord, I think, is a treasure. It's a treasure to our soul. And that treasure could be defined as courage or fortitude or assurance or peace. And by the word of God and through His Spirit, He can make the fearful fearless. He can make the sick healed. He can make the tired tireless, the hopeless hopeful, and the lonely loved. That's what God does. He says in verse 6, a word. He says, yet He regards the lowly. That word in the Hebrew is just humble. Just humble. He regards us. Verses 7 and 8, this is what I would say is our future confidence in the Lord. And verse 7, if the Scriptures are familiar to you here, Psalm, or the verse of 7 of Psalm 138 is very familiar in its tonal quality, is it not? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. Does that remind you of Psalm 23? Psalm 23, one says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just like Psalm 23. Psalm 138 gives us the same message, the same encouragement. Hey, if, if, if I'm walking now or in the future with the Lord, as I'm walking with Him, guess what? I have no need to fear anything. Neither do you. No need to fear anything. Why? Because God is with me. And in these times, like for David, God will revive you. That word revive means to restore and preserve. So in the revival, it's not only like giving back life or 
being restored, but it's actually preservation. He preserves us. Even in the darkest of times in our lives, guys, we as believers still make progress. You know that? You may not think so, but you are. Because you're thinking differently. You're maybe depending more on God. You're reading your Bible more. You're on your knees more. There are definite changes, and we are all making progress in the time of trial. Why is that? Look at verse 7, first line again. Though I walk. I look at that word also as just worship. See, we have to be worshiping in the midst of trouble. And notice it's not a run, (laughs) but it's a walk. It's a quiet pace. That's how we walk. And that's all we need to do in times of needing revival. But we're not alone in all of this. God is here to revive us, pouring fresh life into us. We're told that He uses His right hand That right hand is known as mighty and strong in the Scriptures. God's right hand. That mighty right hand, He uses against depression. He uses against disillusionment. When we're distressed, when we're overwhelmed, God's right hand comes in and helps us and strengthens us. David says, and he's so bold to say, His right hand saves me. It delivers me. How good is that? Let's say it again. If God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Finally, in verse 8, here's the reason. The Lord is doing a work. The Lord is perfecting that which concerns me, says, says David. That word perfect means complete. Do you know that God is concerned about everything you're concerned with? You being His children, we being His servants. He'll make sure no one thing will fail to bring completion in our lives. And that means our strength, that means our hope, our walks. All of those things will be perfected. You know, God's work is really perfect. Especially compared to our work. (laughs) Our work is kind of like incomplete. Always incomplete. Our work is clumsy. Our work is imperfect, but not the Lord's work. It's always perfect. It's interesting, I think of rest. We rest because we get tired, right? That's why we rest. We get tired, overworked or overstressed or whatever it might be. But when God rests, He's looking at His completed work. He doesn't stop until it's finished. Because He's faithful, right? Scriptures tell us He's faithful to complete that. That good work which first begun, He's faithful. That's when God takes a time of rest, is when He sits back and He looks at His work. There's a great word in the Hebrew called poema. His workmanship. We are His poem to Him. And when God looks at His work, He looks at your life and my life, as He brings us into and out of things, man, He looks back and He says, wow, (laughs) I'm blessed. You see, whatever it is that might be concerning any of us today, in the past or even in the future, the Lord will bring it to completion. He will do that. Pastor David Gusick said this was David's confident declaration. He knew that God had a plan concerning him, and this God of greatness and goodness would absolutely perfect that plan. In the end, David, 
trusts in the mercy of God for his life. And I'm here today to encourage you to say you can too. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. It's not a story. But it's true. David trusted his life, God's plan for his life, and we can do the same. So David's declaration was what we read. I think our declaration for today can be, let's say it again, if God brings you to it, He'll bring you, you guys can do better than that, if God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. I thank you, God, that here today, even as a worship team comes up, Lord, that you would help us, God, that you would help us, that you would revive us, that you would make us bold and strong, Lord. And it's only that strength that we find in you that matters, that counts. And that, God, that We need your strength. So God, this morning we ask, and I ask on the behalf of anyone here, Lord, who needs more of your strength, that God, that like to your servant David, that as we pray, that you answer. And that you make whoever here needs that boldness and that strength that you will give liberally to to we who ask. And so, Lord, this morning, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your love towards us. You are a great God. You are a good God. And we acknowledge that here this morning. And that if any of us are sitting in a foreign land or by the waters of Babylon and they're tempted to hang their instruments in the willow tree, Lord, bring to remembrance your strength, your love, your grace, and your mercy so that we may praise you. It's in Jesus' name all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.